You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 176. What's up, Mark? What's up, Jake, is our uh, marketing pros, Tim and Julie, have just blown it up for us. I've literally had at least a half a dozen CMOs from major oil and gas companies reach out to us and go, y'all hire an agency? I mean, y'all are just all over the place, and it's good content, totally different content on different platforms, and it's relevant and useful. And I had to go, no, it's Tim and Julie doing it. So shout out to our own people who don't actually don't get behind the microphone too much other than Julie doing the updates, but, but they've been kicking butt from a marketing point of view. They sure have. They've been driving a ton of traffic. I know I've gotten a lot of new connections on LinkedIn out of it. So keep the good work, guys. Yep. And speaking of keeping the good work, if you want to support the show, the easiest, quickest, best thing you can do is leave us a review. We got one here from Jen Asses from the US, a fantastic podcast. As I mentioned on LinkedIn, love listening to all of you. Great, easy listen voices, great content, very informative, great personalities. We appreciate that. Get toward the end because she left a very long review. Since starting this podcast, and all the others that have been suggested, I feel my knowledge as well as my interest has grown so much. Thank you guys for being so informative. Again, because of the great personalities and easy to listen to voices, you keep me coming back. Hope to meet your guys in events someday. And we would love to meet you too. Which, by the way, this is not our only oil and gas podcast. We have seven of them. Jake and Colin have one as well. So maybe we'll get Julie to throw the links to all the podcasts in here. If you're interested in technology, I'm still looking for reviews. I'm actually begging for reviews on the oil <laughs> gas technology podcast. I've yet to get one. Come on, somebody go listen to that show if you like it give me a review and if you don't like it let me know why but this is not a review show this is a news show and jake let's get into news stories all right let's start off with something a little bit lighthearted and we've got a whole bunch of geopolitical crap that we've got to get to unfortunately so starting off i wanted to do something a little bit of fun and so there's a self-driving car startup called aurora innovation that made headlines uh, earlier this year when amazon joined with a 530 million dollar funding round to advance its technologies as it aims to revitalize cities by reducing less traffic so how you can reduce less traffic autonomous vehicles and so one of the the less publicized partners who was actually part of that funding round was actually Oil that shell. That's cool. And, yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting. So we know that they're investing a lot into, you know, they they have a, their corporate venture capital arm. They're investing a lot into making their operations more efficient and productive, new equipment, new digital technology, stuff like that. But I thought this is also interesting that they're investing in something that is, you know, the article kind of dives into it. It's like it's like you're kind of putting yourself out of business, but not really. You know, I think whoever wrote it didn't quite understand the oil and gas industry. But I just think it's interesting that you know a company like you know Shell is investing in autonomous vehicles. Yeah, and it's cool. I actually interviewed Shell for the tech show that hasn't been released yet, but they've done some partnering on some electrical generation and um, electric vehicle recharging stations in Europe. So they're not just dipping their toe in this. They're looking at the complete infrastructure, which I think, which I think is really, really, really cool because it's the future. And whether, whether you want it to be the future or not, it doesn't matter. Now, don't misunderstand me, people. Nothing's happened to hydrocarbons ever, right? But But you know, moving toward electric vehicles makes sense in a lot of ways. And it's really cool to see the oil and gas uh, super majors take notice of this and actually dump some money in there. And they're not dumping money in there to be nice. They're dumping money in there because they want to learn and hopefully make a profit down the road, which is just good for everybody. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people who are jumping into this space. Obviously, you know, you've got, you know, Uber's plan from, from the beginning was to be an autonomous vehicle company. It wasn't, well, not from the beginning. I'll say like very, very early on, because obviously they were just a taxi company at first, but, you know, they set their sights on going the path of getting, you know, the kind of the infrastructure in place, all these different drivers and kind of building up all of the users on the platform. And now in 
by 2020. So they're saying next year, I think they're actually going to have these drones in different cities. They're having these little, they call them hives, I think, where all of these flying drones fly in and out. So it's not just going to be cards. It's also going to be, you know, in the air as well. Now you've got Tesla saying that they're making a shift into, I think he said, Elon Musk said by next year, they're going to have all of these autonomous uh, Teslas just driving around people. And so kind of competing with, you know, Lyft and uh, Uber, you have, you know, GM and all of the big guys are investing heavily into autonomous vehicles. And so, you know, it's it's going to happen one of these days. We're already seeing, you know, a lot of the Teslas have the self-driving capabilities now to at least drive down the highway. It's still a little scary, but it's the world's going to look very, very different here soon. You literally can go buy a Tesla today that will drive itself out of the parking garage or out of your garage, your house and come pick you up at the front door. Yeah. I mean, it just does get cool. Right? And then don't discount other things. You know, Jake mentioned drones real quick. Amazon, FedEx, UPS are all heavily investing in drone technology. In our lifetime, our packages, our stuff that we order online will be delivered by drones. It just makes sense. So this is just really cool. All right, up next, I, I found the, the shortest, most abbreviated, most clickbaity uh, version of it. I don't know why I didn't find the actual one. So Comstock Resources is actually buying Covey Park. So the, the headline for this is obviously Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones owns 75% of Comstock. So he's actually contributing another like $475, $475 million <laughs> as part of the acquisition. And so the total investment in Comstock for him is $1.1 billion, but they're buying Covey Park for $2.2 billion in cash and stock. Yeah, I, I actually see what they're doing with that because if I remember right, what's the name of his company? Comstock Resources. Comstock. It's not actually that big. It's mainly Texas and Louisiana, I believe they're they're operating. Yeah, like East Texas and in Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering if this is a way for them to get access to different plays out there. I, you know, really, Jerry Jones, you really should call me and Jake before you do stuff like this and let us kind of give you some coaching around this so that we can better understand what you're <laughs> trying to pull off. That's what he needs. But, yeah, I'm sure he's what he needs. And, and Jerry, I'll, I'll joke aside, if you would like our input, we'd be happy to give it to you. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the heavier stuff. Obviously, there's been a lot of the news about uh, the U.S. and Iran. Tensions are high. We had tankers. I think we had whether it was a submarine or a missile or something happen a week or two ago. Oil didn't budge, which was kind of awkward. But Iran did shoot down a U.S. drone this past week, a few days ago, actually. And so essentially, that was Iran saying, Here's an actual quote from their, I don't know what I don't know what position this is in their military, but I'm guessing it's high up. He said, "Borders are our red lines, and enemy that invades these borders will not return home. Uh, we don't have any intention to go to war with any country, but we're completely ready to go to war." So they shot down one of our drones. The U.S. is saying that we were in international airspace; we were not in Iranian airspace, and so it was completely uncalled for. So tensions are obviously rising. I think the interesting thing here is to kind of look at. I think the U.S. is confused as what is our foreign policy as it pertains to Iran. It seems like people within our administration, I don't get too political, but they're, they're, they're not really agreeing. And we're, we're seeing kind of mixed signals on the direction of how we're going to handle this. But I think it's important. Mark, do you want to talk about kind of how we got here? Yeah, so this goes all the way back to the to the nuclear deal, right? Which is under Obama's administration, and and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I judged that one wrong at that time. I thought it was a great de- thing to do. Turn to find out I was wrong about it. And this is just us, and it's not just us. It's us and our allies trying to make sure that they don't have the ability to have nuclear weapons of mass destruction. They of course feel like they need it because they're in a part of the country where all their neighbors don't like them. You know, and half of them are nuclear armed as well. And so this is just years, you know, four years of sanctions and threats and everything going back and forth. And this is going to be the final straw. The the one thing that I will say is our current administration, 
I cannot believe didn't retaliate with a military action yet. And they may not retaliate at all. They're, they're showing a lot of cool and calm collective thinking because I sort of think one of the things that Iran wants us to is to go into war. And then its allies will, of course, back it, which actually would, would help the current administration in Iran to actually get some sympathy and, and not go down this this dead end that they're going down and the fact that we haven't done anything yet now they did just shoot down an unmanned drone it's it to them i think it's a really they probably think it's really cool to us it's not that big a deal it's literally going 50 miles an hour you know but something's going to happen and uh this part of the world if something happens in this part of the world all prices will go through the roof now how long they stay up i don't know and the other thing is will that be a way for the u.s and russia to capture more market share absolutely so in some ways if a war happens long term wise it actually may help us a little bit and i don't want us to go to war it's not worth any boots on the ground over there but if we get to the point where we need to do it, it needs to be swift and fast and it will be and it'll be over within minutes and while we're on the topic of ron Obviously, you know, we put a whole bunch of sanctions and I think, uh, I don't know if we impose any tariffs or not, but I know the sanctions, which have obviously kind of essentially, I mean, the whole point of a sanction is to cripple the economy there in Iran. So now I think we also, so we had sanctions on how much oil they could actually export, right? And Correct. so Russia is now offering to come in and say, let us lend you a hand. We'll help you export your oil. So obviously tensions with Russia haven't been the greatest recently. Tensions with Iran haven't been the greatest do we have anything to worry about with with Russia and Iran kind of getting a little bit closer into bed with each other? Yeah, and, and I've been, we, you and I have been talking about this for years. We really, Russia needs to be on our side, not OPEC side or not the Middle East side. I know why they're doing it. If I was in there, if I was in Putin's shoes, I'd probably be doing the same thing as well. But it's not going to lead to anything good. Now, do we need to worry about Russia and Iran teaming up if if there's military action? No. Russia has one aircraft carrier and it, Jake, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's in dry dock <laughs> right now. You know, they used to have a very substantial military presence. They still have a large military, but compared to us, it's, it's not even a drop in the bucket. We don't want to go there because it would just disrupt the world economy for a very long time. And I don't think it will go there. And you also have to remember a lot of this is political positioning. You know, if Russia says it's going to help Iran, even though they may not actually do it, what how what does the U.S. do? Does the U.S. then start looking at putting more sanctions against Russia? The last time we had a bunch of sanctions against Russia, unfortunately, it didn't really do anything. So, you know, we need to keep an eye on this. I just, I really, 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 really hope that that things just don't get out of control. But we're we're right there. We're right at the point where somebody's lighting the match. All right, up next, Pemex has announced that they are no longer interested in deep water oil projects, which is probably on the surface, probably a good thing. If you don't know, Pemex is actually $110 billion in debt. They are the most indebted, uh, I think, not just oil and gas company, I think company in the entire world. Yeah, it's it's a mess. Yeah, it's such a mess. And so they've had declining oil production for the last decade. There's a new administration in, uh, President uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Why do they have so many last names? So many first names and last names. Man, can we just shorten this up a little bit? <laughs> And so, uh, so instead of focusing on you know the offshore projects, they're going to stay where they have experience, which is going to be in the shallow waters of the Gulf of Mexico, uh, and their onshore fields. So obviously, like I said, they've been struggling for a long time. They're currently producing 1.7 million VOPD of crude, yeah, from those onshore and shallow water fields. Yeah. So let me translate this. Pemex does not have the engineering expertise or the capital. To, to get oil off the ground unless it's dirt cheap. So on land and, and on the shelf. That's why the president changed the laws so the American and European companies could come in and help them. It's really a weird place, Jake. So they literally have more hydrocarbons than they know what to do with. They can't get it out the ground. 
And so what's happening is, and this benefits Texas, we're building pipelines like crazy across the Mexican border, supplying natural gas to Mexico, which is, I mean, think about if it was the other way. Think about if, if here in Texas, we didn't know how to get the gas out of the ground and Mexico is having to build pipelines and supplies of natural gas, even though we had all the gas in the Permian. That's what they're going through. And it's just, and, and it's all built around corruption. Pemex is one of the most corrupt companies I have ever dealt with. And the people in Mexico need to make up their mind that the corruption is not okay. Until the people realize that corruption is not okay, the politicians will never change what they're doing. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before where somebody hot tapped a, a pipeline that had gasoline to steal gasoline and it blew up and killed, I don't remember how many people. That's not uncommon over there. And so, you know, the only people that are really suffering here is the Mexican people. I really, really hope that Pemex starts cleaning up its act. I'm starting to see some signs that it's going down that route. But once again, until the culture of Mexico changes, until people say it is not fair for you to steal, and not talking about Pemex, it's about each other, until the Mexican people believe that you need to not be corrupt on a personal level, it's never going to work its way through the culture of the government into the company of Pemex. But that's what needs to have happen. So let's just hope for the Mexican people that, that things start to change because it's silly that they're having to buy hydrocarbons from us. They have all they need. They just can't get it out the ground. Yeah. I 100% agree. Hopefully they get their act together. Mexico, if you need some help, let us know. <laughs> yeah, me and Jake could be happy. Happy. Come over. We can straighten all that up. Give us give us authority. Me and Jake can clean it up in about 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> now, right, Mark, a couple what's, going on? what's going on in Canada? My Canadian brothers and sisters, what are y'all doing? So Senate Bill uh, C-69 passed and Senate Bill C-49, I think, also passed. So basically, C-69 is gives the government oversight over a lot of major CapEx projects like pipelines. And basically what they're doing is they're going to kill new pipelines growth in Canada. And the politicians there that got this through said, we don't need any more pipelines in Canada. Yeah, you do. You need a lot. You have a lot of hydrocarbons. You have a lot of valuable hydrocarbons. The rest of the world will buy from you, which means that your people will have jobs. And unless you can get the, those hydrocarbons to the coast, no, you can't export it. And so you're killing your own export business, which is, I mean, how much money are you losing in your economy? And then the Tanker, the other ban is banning more tankers. C-48 is that law. So that one just passed too, the All Tanker Moratorium Act. So let me get this straight, Canada. You don't want to build pipelines to move your hydrocarbons that you have so that your people can generate electricity and have gasoline and diesel run their cars. And at the same time, you're not going to let tankers come in so that you can buy hydrocarbons from other countries. I mean, this, ah, stop. And, and we don't like to get in politics, so I'm not going any deeper in this, but this is going to really hurt the Canadian oil and gas business, which is really the people of Canada. So hopefully they get some politicians in there that understand this, or once these deal, these bans, I mean, these bills go into place and people start seeing how it hurts the economy, maybe they'll come back and change it. But this is, I, I, I was afraid this was going to happen. And it did. And this is sort of stuff that I worry about here in the U.S., Jake. This is like sort of stuff I see starting to go on in Colorado. It's been going on in California forever. And, you know, speaking of California, they import so much crude. They have it. Their people could have jobs, but they don't want to get it out the ground. They don't want to build pipelines. So California imports, I think, 75% of its hydrocarbons that it uses. That's crazy. You know, so, you know, lesson learned, U.S. and the rest of the world. Don't let politicians get caught up in stuff that's fashionable. Make them do what they're supposed to do, which is work for the people. This is not working for the people. Sorry. Yeah. Canada. Get, so Mexico, Canada, I feel like we're just, we're stuck in between an idiot sandwich. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, get, the, get your we together. are now. Let me tell you the other thing though, which, and you brought up a good point, Jake, you know, who's going to benefit from this, which is a damn shame us. 
So now yeah. Canada's going to need to buy crude. They're not going to bring it in via pipelines, which is the most economic, friendly, and cost-effective way to do it. It's probably being brought in rail, which is not a good way to move hydrocarbons. Well, pipeline's much better, but that's what's going to happen. So we're going to make money off this. People here will have jobs. People in Canada won't. Darn shame. <laughs> All right. So what's up with Saudi Aramco and Air Products? So they opened the first hydrogen fueling station. And let me tell you something about hydrogen. I, I've been This idea has been in my head for a decade. It wasn't until the last year or so that it kind of like fully gelled. Everybody's know that, that hydrogen makes a great fuel, right? It's very clean. It's not, not only is it very clean, it's completely clean. So if you run hydrogen in a fuel cell or internal combustion engine, your exhaust is water vapor. That's it. <laughs> water vapor, right? <laughs> so the use of hydrogen as a fuel has a lot of benefits. Now, a lot of people say, well, it's explosive and we don't have the infrastructure. I hate to tell you, gasoline's explosive too. And we built that infrastructure, you know, years ago to have gas stations everywhere. So this is some, some experiments where uh, Sorry Ramco and Air Products are working together and they're, they're, they built the first hydrogen refueling station in, in Saudi Arabia, which is really cool. And then they have a fleet of cars. So they could do some long-term testing on that. The one thing that is really cool about this, Jake, that, like I said, it's been in my head for years is there's several ways to make hydrogen. Electrolysis is probably the easiest one where basically you run electricity through salt water and you get hydrogen and oxygen off of it, but it's costly. But there's another way to make hydrogen, and that is manipulating the molecules in natural gas and methane, right? And that is at the point now where it's almost per BTU of power on the cost-effectiveness scale of gasoline. So when we can manufacture hydrogen at the same price as gasoline, well, now all of a sudden this thing starts looking like a reality. And so this is why I keep saying that natural gas is a fuel of the future and we use it forever, not just to run electrical generation and not just to run LNG, which you actually can use in, in vehicles as well, and not just to make fertilizer, which, you know, 70% of the world is fed with fertilizer made from natural gas, but we can actually manipulate those molecules and make hydrogen very cheap. I, I really do think hydrogen is going to be the fuel of the future. Now, whether that's fuel cells running uh, electric cars, which I think is a very strong, super strong possibility, or internal combustion, which by the way, people, internal combustion will never go away. Electric cars are awesome. They're great, but they're for wealthier nations. A lot of nations that are still pulling their people out of an agrarian society, these emerging economies, internal combustion is just the cheapest way to move stuff around. It'll be like that forever. But if you're running hydrogen, you don't need catalytic converters. You don't need lean burn technology. It just, it's naturally produces zero emissions. So really cool stuff. It's, it's interesting. It started Ramco came to this first, as far as going commercial first. I know Exxon was working really hard on this for years and I know they're still working on this and you know, maybe Exxon's just waiting to let Saudi Ramco and air products prove it out first before they get any deeper in it. Like I said, this is a long-term thing. There's, you can't, the only hydrogen vehicle I know you can buy commercially, BMW makes one. And last time I heard is it was a 23 month wait. So you could pay for it now and you don't get it for about two years, but that will change. So let's keep an eye on this because I really think this is really fascinating stuff for us and for, for the world. Awesome. And I think that about wraps up the articles. What else we got? We got the giveaway. Uh, this shirt is blowing it up. We've had so many people reach out to us. Even our own internal, <laughs> our own peers have asked me for this shirt. Now, you can't get one. The only way you can get one is you have to go register and win. Even if you work for Oil and Gas Global Network, you're, you got to go register. It's really simple. Go click the link that's in the show notes. This is a, a shirt with an uh, antique uh, pump jack on the front that has OGGN's logo on one sleeve, IBM's logo on the other sleeve, which by the way, thank you IBM for sponsoring the show. We love you to death. I just came back, Jake, from the Energy and Data Conference in uh, San Antonio. I'm sorry, not in San Antonio, Austin. 
And um, IBM was there. And we really, really cool stuff. We got some good interviews coming out on the tech show from that. But go register for the shirt. The coolest thing about it is it's uniquely serial number. So every shirt has a different number. And Jake and I, in the near future, will be calling out, hey, shirt number 227, you just won, blah, blah, blah. So you get to actually win twice. So go go sign up, win one of these shirts, and it will be valuable in the future, I promise. Plus, it's all right, automatically a collector item. Now we're at the rig count, Jake. I'm scared to even ask. What's the rig count? 1,005. Oh, that's better. It went up. It went up a little bit. I mean, yeah. I think. And we were like, what, like nine, nine ninety nine, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's a perfect number. Street team. After this, after Jake and I get off the mic, listen for Julie. She'll tell you how to sign up for street team. That's our volunteer group that you get to do cool stuff with us. And then if you want to know about oil and gas events, we have a free oil and gas events newsletter also in the show notes. Go click there. And then if you want Jake and I to come talk to your sales and marketing club, your gym, Jake's newest thing is he's gotten into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, your uh, marketing kickoff, sales kickoff, whatever, let us know. We'd love to come to you, uh, do a keynote, or even maybe bring the podcast, or if you're really good, We'll do both. And then we have the first Friday Q&A. Uh, go to the website, click on ask a question. You know the deal. If we, you read your question on the air, we get a big shout out. And while you're there, go ahead and give us your email. Well, we won't spam you, but we'll use that in the future for cool stuff. And join the LinkedIn group. We talked about Tim and Julie. Our LinkedIn group, Jake, I think grew. I'm not, and I may have this number. I think it grew a thousand members in three weeks. That's crazy. Because of Tim and Julie. Yeah, it is crazy. So go join so you won't get left behind. And that is really about it. You ready to get out of here, Jake? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here is Julie with Events on Deck. Hey, it's Julie here, and I have a few OGGN announcements before we're heading into the Events on Deck. Street team, we are still taking volunteers for our street team. We're only asking for an hour of your time per week in exchange for perks such as free entry to our happy hours, shirts, networking with other young professionals in our group. The group is within Facebook, but you do not have to have a Facebook to join. Just send me an email. The link will be in the show notes and I can get you started. Our happy hours. We are actually moving to quarterly happy hours rather than monthly. So our next Houston happy hour, as well as Midland, will be in August or September. Be on the lookout for that date. You'll get an invite if you're on the list. If not, you can sign up on the list below. And then we are launching another happy hour in Denver in August. So if you're interested in that one, the link is in the show notes as well to be notified. We don't have a date or details for that yet, but they're coming up. Okay, now on to the events on deck. We have Golf for Good on June 11th, 2019 in Houston, Texas. All proceeds go to help redeemed ministries with our long-term recovery program and safe house to help victims of human trafficking become survivors. So mark your calendars and be ready to golf for good with Redeemed and our organizers, Global SEM Energy and Red M. For more information on how to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. Data-Driven Drilling and Production Conference is June 11th through 12th in Houston, Texas. This is where Silicon Valley meets oil and gas. Register at the link in our show notes below. The Energy and Data Conference is... June 17th through 19th in Austin, Texas. This forward-looking conference will include the latest in digital transformation trends as they relate to the energy sectors with topics such as machine learning and data management storage, oil and gas development and drilling production, and more. Link down below. Energy Exposition is June 26th through 27th in Gillette, Wyoming. 
The Energy Exposition is for those who would like to know more about procedures, technology, safety, environmental practices, and equipment used in the oil and gas industry. And again, the link is in our show notes. Argentina Oil and Gas and Energy Summit 2019 is on July 10th and 11th in Buenos Aires. This summit's actually the first and only official event for the Argentinian oil and gas and energy industries. It will present a unique platform for networking that will bring together existing and future operators in the oil and gas industry in Argentina and Latin America. Next up is the 2019 IPANM annual meeting that Mark, Jake, and Paige will actually be speaking at. This will be July 24th through 26th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this year's theme is Addressing Operator Needs in 2019. And next up is Desk and Derek Fort Worth second annual shoot for the future clay shoot. This clay shoot will be on July 26th in Decatur, Texas. And then last but not least, Summer Nape. This is going to be August 21st and 22nd to where the deals happen. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.